Chapter Eight of Mildred at Home by Martha Finley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Farewell, God knows when we shall meet again. Mildred was in her pretty sitting room, busily plying her needle. Little Percy playing about the floor, rolling a ball here and there. Both mother and child were neatly attired. The little one in spotless white, his golden curls hanging about his neck and half shading a round rosy face with big blue eyes the mother in a dark cashmere which fell in soft folds around her graceful figure and was relieved at throat and wrist by dainty white ruffles of lace her hair was becomingly arranged and she had never presented a more attractive appearance even in the days of her girlhood mildred was not one of those who are less careful to please the husband than the lover she studied Charlie's taste and wishes even more carefully now than had been her wont before they were married. Perhaps in that lay the secret of his undiminished and lover-like devotion to her. Both he and she had a great aversion to mourning. Therefore, they were glad that Fan had particularly requested that none should be worn for her. It was a little past their usual hour for tea, and the open dining-room door gave a glimpse of a table covered with snowy damask and glittering with polished silver cut glass and china but dr landreth was closeted with someone in his office on the other side of the hall and his wife waited the departure of the patient a trifle anxiously fearing that her carefully prepared viands would lose their finest flavor if not be rendered quite tasteless by standing so long shall i make de waffles in the iron ma'am asked gretchen coming to the door no not yet said mildred they would be cooked too soon the doctor likes them best just as they are ready the iron gets too hot observed the girl yes take it off gretchen i can't tell just how soon the doctor will be in so we will have to keep him waiting while he heat the iron the girl went back to her kitchen and percy dropping his toys came to his mother's side with a petition to be taken into her lap she laid aside her sewing, took him on her knee, and amused him with stories suited to his baby mind. At length she heard the office door open and a familiar voice saying, Well, Charlie, I shall take the matter into consideration, and much obliged for your advice, whether I follow it or not. Mildred hastily sat Percy down and ran to the door. Rupert, she said, won't you stay to tea? Thank you, Millie, not tonight, he answered. I've already declined a warm invitation from Charlie and with a hasty good-bye he hurried away. Mildred thought her husband's face unusually grave, even troubled, as he came into the sitting-room and a sudden fear assailed her. "'Charlie!' she cried, her cheek paling. "'What—what what was Rupert consulting you about?' "'Don't be alarmed, Millie love,' he answered, taking his boy upon one arm and putting the other about her waist. "'I have thought for some time that Rupert was growing thin and haggard,' she said brokenly tears filling her eyes and oh charlie i have often noticed and heard it remarked that one death in a family is apt to follow closely upon another she ended with a sob laying her head on his shoulder don't cry mamma cooed little percy patting her cheek ooh baby boy tissed you make o all well she lifted her head returned the caresses lavished upon her by both husband and child then asked earnestly and half pleadingly won't you tell me if if rupert is seriously ill 
He is broken down with overwork, has been devoting himself too closely to business, and needs an entire change for a time, replied her husband, speaking in a cheerful tone. If he will take that at once and for a long enough time, he may, I think, be restored to full health and vigor. Surely, surely he will do so without delay. I can't say. He thinks it almost impossible to leave his business at present and would rather try halfway measures first. You must be persuaded out of that, and I think can be, she said, her countenance brightening. Now you must excuse me for a few moments, my dear. Gretchen is improving, but I can't yet trust her to bake your waffles quite to my mind. Let her try, Milly. How else is she ever to learn? I shall, after I have seen that the iron is properly heated and filled, she answered, as she hastened away to the kitchen. Celestia Ann was at the front gate as Rupert neared it. She turned her head at the sound of his footsteps. So here you be at last, she exclaimed, and I was looking right in the wrong direction. Been up to the doctor's, I suppose. Well, there sat down to the table without you. We waited a spell, and then I told your mother twarn't no use, for you don't eat nothing nohow. Let me fix you up the victuals goods I can. I am late, and sorry if the meal has been kept waiting, Rupert answered as he hurried past her into the house. His mother gave him a kindly affectionate smile as he entered the dining room and stopped his apology halfway. Never mind, my son, it is no matter, except that your meal will not, I fear, be quite so good and enjoyable, which is a pity as your appetite is so poor of late. There was some anxiety in her look and tone, also in the glance his father gave him as he seated himself at the table. I fear you are working too hard, Rupert, he said, confining yourself too closely to business. Just what Charlie has been telling me, the young man responded with a half sigh. But how is it to be helped? By putting health before business, his mother said with decision. My dear boy, if you lose your health, what will become of your business? True, mother, he sighed. But I have not quite given up the hope that I may regain the one without relinquishing the other. A pound of prevention is worth an ounce of cure, remarked Aunt Wealthy absently, rather as if thinking aloud than addressing the company. What does Charlie advise? asked Mrs. Keith. An entire change for some months or a year, including a journey to some distant point. Quite impracticable, is it not, father? Rupert asked, turning to him. If you want my opinion, replied Mr. Keith, I say nothing is impractical which is necessary to the preservation of your life or even of your health. We cannot spare you, my son, he continued with emotion. It is to you more than any of the others that your mother and I look as the prop and support of our old age. Thank you, father, Rupert said with feeling. That pleasing task would, of course, naturally fall to me as the oldest son. Though, if I were taken away, my brothers, I am sure, would be no less glad to undertake it. No, it would be the greatest joy in life, said Don, with warmth, glancing affectionately from one to the other of his parents. I can answer for Cyril as well as myself. I haven't the least doubt of it, Don, replied his father, while the mother said, with glistening eyes, We are rich in the affection of our children, both boys and girls, she added with a loving look into Annis's blue eyes. The eyes filled with tears. Annis was thinking how often she had heard Fan say that she was to be the one always to stay at home and take care of father and mother. 
dear fan who had now been nearly two months in heaven oh how they all missed her at every turn though anna strove earnestly to supply her place leaving the table they all repaired to the sitting-room but don after lingering a moment took up his cap and moved towards the hall door don't forsake us don said his mother following his movements with a look of mingled love and sadness it was no secret to her that the house seemed to him unbearably desolate deprived of the loved presence of his favorite sister only for a few minutes mother i want to chat with wallace and this is about the best time to catch him at leisure my poor boy sighed mrs keith as the door closed on him yes he feels very sad and lonely said rupert but i am glad he has left us for a little while for i want to have a talk with you and father about him myself also he added with a faint smile uh don't go aunt wealthy he said as miss stanhope rose as if to leave the room what i have to say need be no secret from you and i think we will be glad of your counsel in the matter she sat down again and annis asked may i stay too rupert yes he said inviting her to a seat by his side he then proceeded to give an account of his interview with dr landreth stating that he strongly advised him to wind up his business or make some sort of arrangement for leaving it for a year or more and joining a party preparing for california the journey across the plains he thought would prove the very thing for him nothing else was so likely to restore his shattered health and i have been thinking added rupert that it might be the very best thing for don if you father and mother would consent to let him go with me in case i follow charlie's advice he seems to me as ill mentally as i am physically and we would be mutual helpers i have no idea that we should make our fortunes at gold digging but i doubt if the boy will ever be content till he has tried his hand at it but let his dreams be dispelled and he will be ready to settle down at home if he ever gets home again remarked the father it may be that you are right though rupert and your mother and i will take the matter into consideration yes sir in regards to us both i hope i want your advice as to my own course it will go far to help me decide what i ought to do both parents looked gratified while miss stanhope remarked you are quite right in that rupert you could not have wiser counsellors than they and certainly none so deeply interested in your welfare nor will you or any one ever lose by honoring parents i am very fortunate in having parents worthy of all honor aunt wealthy he said with an affectionate glance from one to the other mother dear do not look so sad he said perceiving that her eyes were full of tears i cannot think of going if it is to be at the risk of breaking your heart no my heart will not break she said in a determinedly cheerful tone the promise is sure as thy days so shall thy strength be and it will be better to part with you for a time than forever in this life she added with a tremble in her voice also i should be more willing to see two of my boys go together than any one of them alone then if i go you will consent to don's accompanying me yes and you father i feel just as your mother does about it was mr keith's reply but if don should not wish to go suggested miss stanhope in a tone of inquiry oh no fear of that auntie laughed annis he's been crazy to go ever since the first news of the gold and you can't scare him out of it either 
The more you talk of Indians, bears, and wolves, and all other dangers, the more he wants to try it. He says life in this little slow town is altogether too tame to suit a fellow of spirit. Better suited to the humdrum class represented by his father and elder brother, I presume, said Rupert with a good-humored smile. As Don stepped in at William Ormsby's gate, Zilla opened the front door, ran out, and hastily caught up little Stuart, who was digging in the sand, and carried him struggling and screaming into the house. It's too cold for you to be out. Mama can't let you. Mama told you not to go out, she was saying, as Don followed her into the sitting room. I will do out. Open the door, screamed the child. Me wants to play in the sand. No, you can't go out any more tonight, replied the mother, giving him a hug and kiss. Oh, he's Mama's darling. There never was such a boy in all the world. There never was. Mama loves him ever so much. Meanwhile, the child was struggling with all his baby might to get away from her, kicking, striking, screaming at the top of his voice. I will go out. I will. I will. Shan't stay in the house. Oh, now, be a good dear boy, entreated Zilla. He's Mama's own pet, the dearest, sweetest boy in the world. Mama thinks there never was such a boy. I should hope not, if that's the way he carries on, remarked Don, seating himself and regarding his nephew with a look of disgust and disapproval. I think he's spoiling for a spanking, and if he were my child, he'd get it. Zilla flushed hotly. Men and boys have no patience with children, she said. There, there, Stuart. Stop crying, and Mama will get you something good. No, up door. Me want do out. Me will do out, screamed the child. Oh, now, do be good. Do stop crying, and Mama will get you some candy, said Zilla in her most coaxing tones. Danny, Mama, asked the child, the screaming suddenly ceasing and smiles breaking through the tears. Yes, Zilla said, drying his eyes and kissing him fondly, then rising with him in her arms and going to a cupboard. But the size of the piece she offered did not suit the ideas of the young tyrant. He refused to accept it, and bursting into screams again, he demanded a bigger one. Take this in one hand, and you shall have a bigger piece in the other, said the overindulgent mamma, and peace being restored. She sat down with him on her lap and began talking with Don. Where's Wallace? the latter presently inquired. He went downtown again after tea, but said he wouldn't be gone very long. Do you want to see him particularly? I would like a talk with him, Don said with a sigh. I wish he would try to get father and mother to consent to my joining the party that are going to California. Oh, Don, how can you suggest such a thing now when they are feeling so sad over poor Fan? exclaimed Zilla, tears starting in her eyes. Don't think me hard-hearted or wanting in love for them, Don returned with feeling. But the truth is, I don't know how to endure life here now that Fan's gone. I miss her at every turn. I... Th think it would be different in a new place where I had not been accustomed to her sweet society. His words were almost inaudible from emotion as he concluded. I know, Zilla said in trembling tones. We all miss her sadly, but I suppose it must be harder, perhaps, for you than any of the rest. Still, you will soon grow, in a measure, used to it, no doubt. I have always heard that time assuages the bitterness of grief, I can't believe it. I don't believe it, he cried impatiently. 
At least I am sure it will not be so in my case for years, unless I can get away into new scenes that will help me to forgetfulness. At that instant, Stuart, who had gone down from the mother's lap to play about the room, tripped and fell to the floor, striking his head against a chair. He set up a loud scream, and Zilla ran to the rescue, picking him up with a cry of, Oh, poor darling, Mama is so sorry. Oh, it is just dreadful how many falls he gets. But there, never mind, it was a naughty chair that hurt my baby so. We'll give it a good whipping, she said, striking it with her hand several times as she spoke. Stuart ceased screaming to pound the chair energetically with his tiny doubled-up fist, then consented to be bribed into quiet with another piece of candy. Zilla sat down again with him on her lap, and presently he dropped asleep there. He ought to be in bed, remarked Don. Yes, but he didn't want to go, and I do so hate to have a battle with him. I rather think it will have to come to that sooner or later, said Don. And I should think the longer you put it off, the harder it will be. I've been at Millie's a good deal the last few weeks, besides watching her when she was at home with us. And I think she could give you some valuable hints about managing a child. It is a vast deal easier to talk than to act, I can tell you, Don, was Zilla's half-offended retort. I dare say, but people can act as well as talk. Father and mother did with us. We always had to obey, and that without being petted and wheedled into it, and Millie does, too. I think it's a great deal better to coax than to beat them, Zilla said, half angrily. Circumstances alter cases, said Don. I don't think it's just the thing to pet and fondle a child and tell him he's a darling. There never was such a boy and all that, when he's kicking up a rout just because he isn't allowed to do exactly as he pleases. Percy began that very behavior the other evening when he had to go into the house before he considered it quite time. Well, what did Millie do with him? inquired Zilla with some curiosity. She first told him firmly and quietly that he must stop screaming on the instant, or she would shut him in a room by himself till he was ready to be good. And as she always keeps her word, not threatening, over and over again before she acts, as some people do, he did stop promptly. Then she took him on her lap and amused him with stories and rhymes a little while when she carried him off to bed. She's always gently with him, but firm as a rock. As regular as clockwork, too, he's put to bed when the hour comes and left there to go to sleep by himself, and he does it without a whimper. I suppose that's the orthodox way, said Zilla, but I can't bear to force Stuart to bed when he cries to stay up. The sweet darling, I do love him so, she said, bending down to kiss the round rosy cheek. I've no doubt you do, said Don, but I remember to have heard Mother say it was but a poor selfish kind of love that couldn't bear the pain of controlling a child for its own good, but would rather let it become so willful and ill-behaved as to be a torment to itself and everybody else. Ah, here comes Wallace, he added, glancing from the window. Then I'll leave you to have your talk with him while I put this boy to bed, returned Zilla, rising and leaving the room. Wallace was no sooner seated than Don made known his errand. Wallace looked grave. I don't like the idea, Don, he said. I wish you could be persuaded to give it up. If you should be unsuccessful, of which there are ten chances to one, it would involve the loss of some of the best years of your life. 
One must take a risk in anything one tries, interrupted Don impatiently. True, replied Wallace. But in this more than in many others. Nothing venture, nothing have, muttered Don. I thought you were to go to college in the fall, remarked Wallace. That has been father's plan for me, but as I have no fancy for a profession, I think a college course would be almost time thrown away, money too. Rue has proposed to make a druggist of me, but that isn't to my fancy either. I wish you would go in with Rue, if you are determined not to take a collegiate education. I can see that he, poor fellow, is sadly overworked, and to have a brother in with him, one whom he could trust, would doubtless prove a great relief. Rue hasn't seemed well of late, assented Don in a reflective tone but I was laying it all to, to grief. Wallace, the house isn't what it used to be. I thought I couldn't stand it. I've been a selfish dog, but I'll try to forget self and think of other people. Good evening. I promised mother I'd be back soon, he added, as he rose and took his departure. His heart was filled with grief and disappointment. He crossed the street slowly, with head bent and eyes on the ground, battling earnestly with himself, striving to put aside his own inclinations for the sake of others. He found the family still gathered in the sitting room, Dr. Landreth and Mildred with them. As he entered, the doctor was saying to Rupert, I've been considering your objection to my plans for you, and think I can see a way out of the difficulty in regard to leaving your business. What is that? Rupert asked, and Don, aroused to eager interest, dropped into a chair and listened for the doctor's explanation with bated breath. Could it be that Rupert was going from home? And if so, where? And what difference might it make to his own plans? Simply this, returned Dr. Landreth, with his genial smile, that I will take charge of it and carry it on for you, if that arrangement seems to you entirely satisfactory. A most generous offer, Charlie, exclaimed Rupert, flushing with surprise and gratitude. But would it not interfere with your professional duties? No, not necessarily. I should merely take the oversight, keeping the good clerk you have and getting another equally competent, the two to do the work between them. Many thanks, said Rupert, grasping his brother-in-law's hand. You have removed my greatest difficulty. I begin to think I can follow out your prescriptions if... And he turned, smiling to Don if Don is as ready to sacrifice himself for my sake. I hope so, Rue. What is it? The boy asked, a trifle husky, for his momentary gleam of hope died out at the question. It shone out with tenfold brilliance at his brother's reply. Charlie thinks I am in danger of permanent loss of health unless I give up my business for a time and have an entire change of scene. So he advises me to join the party about starting for California. He thinks the journey across the plains just the thing for me, but I ought to have some friend, say a brother with me, so that it may depend upon your willingness to go. My willingness, interrupted Don eagerly. I'd be delighted, Rue, and do the very best for you that I know how. The mother was regarding them with glistening eyes, her lips quivering with emotion. And let him give you the care and oversight an elder brother should, asked the father gravely. Yes, if he doesn't try to exert more than his rightful share of authority, returned Don, a slight reluctance full in his tone. On that condition, your mother and I consent to your going, Mr. Keith said. Though, my boy, it will be hard indeed for us to part with you, our youngest son. Don saw the tears in his mother's eyes, 
noted that his father's tones were not quite steady, and his heart went out in love to both. I will never, never do anything to cause them shame or grief on my account, was the firm resolve he whispered to himself. There was necessity for a speedy decision, and it was arrived at within twenty-four hours. The young men were to go. The allotted time was short for needed preparation, particularly that which fell to their mother's share. But with her three remaining daughters and Miss Stanhope coming to her assistance, and all working with a will, the thing was done well and quickly. Nothing forgotten, nothing overlooked, that could add to the comfort of the beloved travelers. It was well for all that matters were so hurried, leaving no leisure for sad forebodings or unavailing regrets. The parting was a hard one, almost harder, the mother thought, than the last she had been called to pass through, for while her beloved fan was safe from all sin and sorrow and suffering, these dear ones were to be exposed to many dangers and temptations. But she bore up wonderfully, as she bade them adieu, and watched the slow-moving train out of sight. They were not going beyond the reach of prayer. They would still be under the protecting care of him who has said, Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee, until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Wherever they might be, he would cover their defenseless heads with the shadow of his wings. Annis's tears fell much longer and faster than her mother's. The letter she wrote to Elsie, giving a graphic account of the preparations and departure, was all blistered with them, even more so than the one telling of Fan's last hours. I am the only child left at home now, she wrote. That was what mother said when we got back from seeing the long train of wagons with their ox team starting on that long, dangerous journey. She took me in her arms and cried over me for a few minutes. Then she wiped away her tears and kissed me over and over, saying, But we won't murmur, darling, or make ourselves unhappy about it, for they are all in God's good keeping. And one day, I trust, we shall all meet in that better land where partings are unknown. And I have great reason to be thankful that Mildred and Zilla are so near us. It is almost as if they were still at home. The letter wound up with an earnest request to Elsie that she would pray daily for the safe return of Rupert and Don. End of chapter 8